You're listening to the First Corinthians When Immaturity Meets Worldliness series preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. First Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. We're going to start at verse number 7. Now, in a moment on the wall here, you're going to see a PowerPoint I hope, if we have no more technical difficulties this morning. Ah, there it is. All right. Perfect. And you can see the bubbles and stuff. That's just so that you will pay attention and sort of wake up this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. This is, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And the reason I, I have this next to Exodus chapter 32 is because it's interesting to, to note what Paul leaves out here. And the truth is, I don't know why Paul leaves this out. It may be that they understood the New Old Testament. They knew of this text. They knew what he was getting at. It may be that he believed that they would search out the word like the noble Bereans and, and, and understand what he's saying here. But 1 Corinthians ten seven says, Paul speaking to the Corinthian believers, neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, now he's referring to Exodus, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And this is the story of the golden calf, where Moses is gone, the people are there, and they had this great idea that, that they don't know what's happened to Moses, so they're just going to have their own kind of worship service. And here's what we find in Exodus 32, verses 5 and 6. And when Aaron saw it, this is a golden calf, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. I think sometimes we think when the children of Israel sinned against God that they were saying, we don't believe Jehovah, we're not following him, we're going to follow this golden calf instead. That's not what he's saying. He said, we've made this golden calf, this represents Jehovah God, this feast will be for him. And then it says this, and they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And Paul didn't say that in his text, but that's what they did. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And, and for some of you who are thinking, oh, that's really cool. They're just having a party there where they sat down to eat and drink birthday cakes and they rose up to play and have a good game of pin the tail on donkey. That's not what he's talking about there. Okay? That, that idea is that this gathering turned into a sexual display. And what Paul is doing here to the Corinthian believers is he's saying, listen, they thought they were worshiping the Lord, but they made this idol. That's not how God had revealed himself. Our God is spirit. And we must worship him in spirit and truth. But they said, this is for the Lord. And so they brought this offering for the Lord, and they, they sat down and they ate and drank before this calf. And, and, and God says, this is idolatry. And this is exactly what was going on in Corinth with the believers. They were going to pagan temples, they said, yeah, these are idols. We don't believe in idols. We're just having a meal there. And Paul's saying, wait a minute. This is exactly what the Old Testament uh, Israelites had done, and he calls it idolatry. So just tuck that away. Keep that in your mind. Remember the little bubbles here, okay, because we're going to go back to that thought. Paul's going to make a point. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 now. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee idolatry. Now, one of the great things about going through a book completely is you get the background, you understand what's happening here. 
We all know this morning that Paul did not hesitate to use harsh language, not abusive, but very harsh language in dealing with the Corinthian believers. He says about them that they're carnal. They are fleshly. They're babies. They're babies. They don't even know what's going on in their Christian walk. He says that there are serious sins among you. He tells them, quit suing each other and taking one another to court. And, and Paul is not afraid to say, listen, this is what you're doing. This is sinful. This is wrong. And his, behavior, his, his, his words often are somewhat harsh. But I want you to see the tone now in verse number 14. He says, wherefore, my dearly beloved. It's interesting, Paul, Paul calls, calls them brothers and sisters throughout this text. And here he says, beloved. There's a wrong notion today that love means happiness at the expense of truth. And so we can't tell people the truth because we just want them to be happy. And so we sugarcoat things, we, we make them feel good about themselves. But here's the problem. You really can't separate love and truth. Because if you love people like Paul loved this church, you tell them the truth. Because truth sets people free. And no matter how harsh it may be or what it might sound like at first, it is still the truth. Still the truth. A couple of weeks ago, we had a, a Skype meeting, my wife and I, with my oldest son and his wife in North Carolina. And uh, for those of you who are a little bit older who don't understand what that means, it's just an idea like being on the TV together, okay? That's, that's the idea. It's a Skype meeting, okay? And so... We were talking with them. We had a great time. Uh, we had lots to catch up on. It was about a two-hour Skype meeting. And so it was Monday night, two hours. We were done with that. And what happened was, um, after we were done, I sort of just walked into the bedroom, and, I, and, I, and Kim looked at me, and she said, Rick. I said, yeah, because I was really feeling great about this conversation we just had. She said, did you, did you notice that during this conversation, you frequently spoke over me? I know for many of you that would surprise you that that was even said. <laughs> because um, I, I don't, I, I'm not, that's not my nature. I'm usually quiet and reserved and I don't get excited about things. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, every time I started a story, you sort of just jumped in, took over the story, and you just, you just ran with it for two hours. And so I listened to that and I said, uh, okay. And I was done. I was done. Um, the next morning, I usually meet her with coffee. We pray together. And we sat down and she said, she said, are you still mad about last night? And, and I said, since you asked. I said, yeah, I'm a little bit upset about last night. I said, we're having a great time. And, and listen, it was Monday. Monday's my day that I sort of recuperate from Sunday, kind of a harsh kind of day. It was Monday. I was tired and exhausted. And I said, and beside that, I helped you all day long. I know, this is, I know you guys would never say things. I just, that's what I said. And about that time, she, she gave me this look like, these are excuses. And I said to her, I said, I know these are excuses, but, and then here's what she said, in a sweet, kind, loving spirit, um, she said, Rick, you speak truth into people's lives all the time. 
That's your job. And you speak truth into my life all the time. And it's really not right that when I speak truth to you, you get all bent out of shape about it. Don't, don't nod your heads. That's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> People, that's what I have to live with. <laughs> don't, don't. She's not here this morning. Um, <laughs> but she knew about this illustration. Um, she was right. She was exactly right. And, and it reminded me of the fact that we have a hard time sometimes taking correction taking criticism. The truth is, critics aren't always right. There are times that they are hostile. There are times that it's exaggerated. There are times that they are just plain wrong. We've all been criticized by someone. But listen, in all criticism, in all correction, there is some truth there. There's truth there. Listen, Don't we know that by nature people are self-deceived? How how many of you folks, you know someone who you think they are self-deceived? Can I see your hands? I'm not asking for names, but you know someone. Man, they they just don't get it. Okay, good. Good. Um, I would say to you, most people are self-deceived. If you don't believe me, look at their Facebook. They really believe that that selfie looks good. We need to have one day where we say, we're going to tell the truth on Facebook. And we say, quit taking those pictures. You look terrible and your kids are ugly. (laughs) They're self-deceived. They think they're all okay. Ever talk to a person that you said, man, they are selfish. and, 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 And they're the most selfish person I know. And yet, they never see it. They never see it. Um, I, I preached messages before, and I was preaching a message, and after the message, a, a dear, kind woman said, that was really great. I, 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 I wish that so-and-so was here because they really needed the message. Now, here's the truth. That message I preached, you could have put her name in every point. I didn't preach it for her, but it was about her. And yet she just missed it. Now, listen to me. If we know that people are self-deceived, all of them, why is it that we don't think that we are? We think we have it all together. And you need to realize, and I need to realize, that people see things about you and about me that we don't catch, but it's truth. Are we teachable? Are we listening? Listen to me this morning. If you have someone in your life who actually listens to you. They try to accurately understand you. They love you and they know they love you and then they are bold enough and comfortable enough to speak truth into your life. You, my friend, have a gift. A gift. Whether you're a child, a teenager, or an adult, if you have someone who speaks truth into your life, it's a gift. Because they're trying to save us from destructive patterns and behaviors. Look at these verses from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9 this morning. Proverbs 9, look at verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, Reprove not a scorner. And a scorner is someone who sits in a seat of judgment. 
And they criticize everyone. They put the spotlight on everyone except themselves. They don't learn. They're not teachable. You can't get anything across to them. The Bible says, reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Verse number 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a wise man, and he will increase in learning. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And what God is saying here is that, listen, we need people who tell us the truth, and sometimes the truth hurts, and sometimes we don't want to hear it, but we need to hear it. We need to listen. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in the lives of these Corinthians. He has been harsh. He has told them the truth. But now he says, listen, we're family. You are a brother. You are a sister in Christ. I want you to do something. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 says, I want you to flee idolatry. Flee idolatry. Uh, and again, be careful. We have the thought that this is idolatry. This wood, this stone, this statue that we worship is idolatry. And we don't have these issues in our day and age. The problem is, idolatry is anything in our life, good things, that become ultimate things, that replace God for love, worship, obedience. I was amazed last week after the message how many people were talking about idolatry. And thinking about the things in their life that their mind goes to automatically. What brings them fear? What brings them comfort? Whether it's order or, or um, organization or being in control or having affirmation or comfort or things. Those are idols as well. And Paul says, flee idolatry. Look at verse number 15 this morning. Verse number 15. He says, I speak as to wise men, judge what I say. And there are a number of people who think, well, Paul's being sarcastic here because they had this problem with wisdom. And listen, Paul didn't have a problem with sarcasm. He used it well. I can appreciate sarcasm. I think it's a great learning tool at times. But I don't think Paul is being sarcastic here. I think what Paul is saying is, listen, I love you. Flee from idolatry. Dearly beloved. Now listen, I speak to wise men. Judge what I say. I want you not to think about what I'm about to tell you. It's interesting. Paul doesn't say, just do what I told you to do. He said, I want you to think. There are times when we just say, do what I want you to do, right? I hope you understand, we don't negotiate with two-year-olds. Okay? There are parents in Walmart who are ridiculous. You hear them in aisle five, six, and seven negotiating with a two-year-old and trying to re make sense about why you can't have this or why you can't do this. And there's a course on economics and everything else. It's like, no, just do what I say. There's a time for that. But listen, believer this morning, Paul says to the Corinthians, think about what I'm about to say. I want you to reason and to think about the Scripture. I want you in maturity to recognize and accept in your own heart why this is wrong and how it's wrong. That is maturity. Can I tell you something? The leadership of this church 
wants believers to be mature. You don't want a church full of people who say, well, the pastor told us to do this. That's why we do this. That seems somewhat cultic. Next, drink the great Kool-Aid. Because the pastor told you to do it. I know, this is a younger... How many folks do you have no idea what grape Kool-Aid means? That's, okay. You, you do know. How many don't know? You don't know. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, because some of you are like, Brett's grape Kool-Aid. It was a cult a long time ago, back in the 60s. Never mind. Okay. We want believers to be mature enough to look at the Word of God and know why they believe what they believe. It must become their own. Can I tell you something? When you look at Scripture and you get it and you understand and you see why the Bible says this is wrong, this is how it's wrong, this is why you should not do this or do this, then it's your own. It's your own and you're growing up. And so Paul says, listen, Corinthians, I want you to think about what I'm saying to you. But understand, in the end, what counts is not what they understand, but that they're willing to be faithful to Christ no matter the cost. The Corinthian believers, if they do what Paul said, if they stop going to the pagan temple, if they stop eating dinner there, it would cost them something. It could cost them hostility with their neighbors. It could cost them a, a chance of promotion that would be wiped out. It could cost them family ties being ripped apart. It could cause them a lot of problems. And Paul knows and he says, listen, I want you to understand and know, but ultimately, you have to follow Christ no matter what the cost. A change in their behavior would cost them something. Look now at verse number 16. He begins now this argument. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And now Paul is going to bring an illustration to them about communion. That's what he's talking about here. The cup of blessing, the bread, it's communion. That word means participation, fellowship with. It means we are connected to Christ. We're in a partnership. And here in this statement, he's giving us the importance of the simple yet profound ordinance. He wants us to understand, to see it for what it is. Communion. When we take communion, what we are saying is we are participating in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We are in fellowship with him. We're in partnership, union with him. We are recognizing our union with Jesus Christ. We have a spiritual bond. That's what communion is. We come together. Listen, the communion meal doesn't strengthen me because I get a good meal to eat. It's a piece of bread that big. It's a cup that big. It's not about that. But what we're doing is we're saying we are participating with Christ. I am his. He is mine. We are in union one with another. We share in his sufferings. We share in the benefits of his death. And we share it with other believers. Look at verse number 17. For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. And, and this is a church. We are all many. Listen to me. This text reminds us of the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ. We come together here, and the fact is, there are lots of people in this room that we have nothing in common with one another. Nothing. Different race, different background, different social status, different educational status. Nothing in common. 
But we come together around the Lord's table, and what we're saying is we are one body. We share this thing. Why? Because we are united in the person of Jesus Christ. The church, one body. The church is interdependent of one another. How you live and what you do is important to this place. And so Paul says, for we being many are one bread and one body, for we're all partakers of that bread. It shows the importance of the church. It shows the importance of this meal. This meal. Let, let me just get a side note here. We have lost the importance in our society of eating together, of just having a meal. Parents, listen to me. Don't have chaos in your home around dinner time. I know it's crazy, but sit down together. Talk with each other. Don't gather around a TV where no one ever communicates or have all your phones on and no one's talking anymore. It's bizarre. And we have no idea what our kids are going through. We don't know what their day was like. We don't know their challenges and their difficulties and their victories. We have no idea because no one's talking around the table anymore. There is no dinner around the table anymore. It's a bad deal. Just, just put that away. Start having dinner together. Start fellowshipping with other people. Have a meal together. There's something about it that's powerful. Right? And we as Baptists know how to do this. We know how to eat. Fellowship. But it shows the importance of this meal, this communion meal. It reaffirms and reinforces the unity that the Spirit creates by bringing us together in one place to share communion. Listen to me. If you don't come to communion time, you should. You should. You should gather together as one body of believers and celebrate the death of Christ, his life, his resurrection, and his coming again. And that's what happens. And Paul, Paul's making this point about communion, that we're all together. We are sharing in the suffering, life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this reminds us that this communion is only for believers only for believers the communion time together is not for the lost because you're not a partaker of Christ be careful my friend you are not in Christ you are not born again you are not saved because you showed up at somebody's church or you're on some membership role or you're really a good guy or a good girl and you're doing the best you can That's not being in Christ. Being in Christ means I realize I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I am lost, bound for hell. I have no hope, no church, no religion, no baptism, no elements can help me. I am lost. I am without hope. And the only hope I have is the finished work of Jesus Christ, that he died for me and bore my sins. And I am in Christ when I repent and believe in him. And we gather together as a body here, the communion is not for the lost. Oh, it makes me feel so good because I, that's not what it's about. It's about believers sharing together in the body of Christ. Verse number 18 of our text, he continues, and he says, Behold, Israel after the flesh, the priest, are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar. And what Paul is doing here, if, if, I know it's a little broken, but what he's saying is, look at. I want you to think about communion. I want you to think about what's happening at communion. That that we are participating in Christ, our Lord and Savior. 
Think about the Old Testament. The priests had, as it were, this table where they ate in front of the altar, and all the blessings of the altar, they experienced, they participated, they were in union with them. There was a connection there, is what he's saying. Look at verse number 19. What say I then? What am I getting at? What's the whole point of what we've been talking about so far? What say I then? That the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. Now, now listen, you understand what he's saying. Back in chapter 8, verse 4, he was talking to them, and they said, we have knowledge. We can go to the temple. We can make these sacrifices. These dumb idols are nothing. There's only one God. And Paul's saying, you're right. I agree with you. These idols are nothing. All idols are nothing. Whether they're an idol of wood or stone or an idol in your heart, they cannot hear, they cannot breathe, they cannot see, and they cannot help you. And Paul says, you're right, these idols are nothing. But now in in verse number 20, he's going to add a little twist to their thinking that they have not realized in what they're doing. Look at verse number 20. There's a problem that these Corinthians have failed to see. He says, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God, and I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. The Corinthian believers thought they were wise, they thought they were mature, they could go into this temple and do whatever they wanted to because they didn't believe in these dumb idols, we're just having a meal, we're just you know, making a way for ourselves. And Paul says, wait a minute, what you have failed to see is that behind those dumb idols, there's something else happening here. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 17, just to give you an example of what's taking place. In Deuteronomy 32 17, Here's what Moses says. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God. And behind these idols, they represent a reality that opposes the true and living God. Verse number 21. 1 Corinthians 10, 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. And what he's saying is this. When we as a body come together for the Lord's communion, we take a cup, we fellowship, we are saying, I am his, he is mine, I am in Christ, I belong to him. And then when they were going to a temple, they were again drinking and eating, and what they were saying, unbeknown to them, is, hey, We're drinking, we're honoring this idol, we don't think it's anything, but behind that idol is a spirit that opposes the and living God. You can't participate at one table and be okay, and then go to another and be okay. You can't do that as a believer. Christ requires exclusive relationship and loyalty. And no matter how benign their intentions were, The results were that they gave consent to, participated with, and swelled the ranks of demonic defiance of the sovereign God. Can I tell you something? We talk about the idols of our hearts. Many of us as believers, we talk about God and heaven. We talk about angels and the spiritual realm. And somehow, someway, we we sort of just bypass this idea of hell and angels 
and demonic spirits. My friend, if heaven is real, hell is real. If God is real, Satan is real. If angels are real, then demonic forces are real. What what did Paul say in Ephesians 6? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual rulers and dark places and, and all those things. And for many of us this morning as believers, we don't even realize we have an enemy. We have this thought that, you know, the devil is like that, that deviled, was it deviled tuna, deviled ham, that red suit, right, and the big tail and the pitchfork and the, the goofy horns. It's like, ha, 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 that's ridiculous. The worst enemy you can have is one that you don't know. And for too many believers, we, like the Corinthians, we have been worshiping our idols, and behind those idols is a spirit against the true and living God. I wonder, hidden beneath the lust of the things that we pursue, behind the mind-altering drugs, behind the endless desire to escape reality and live in a fantasy, behind the obsession in every form of entertainment that we just can't get enough, we are constantly entertaining ourselves to death. I wonder, behind the desire that drives us to position, power, and possessions, behind our complacency and lethargic spirit in our Christian disciplines, behind all the distractions... I wonder about the spirit of this age that is diametrically opposed to God. Verse 22 of our text, Paul says this, Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than him? Our God's a jealous God. He's jealous for his name, Jehovah. He is jealous for his holiness, and he is jealous of his covenant with his people. There is no place for anyone else there. Can I tell you something this morning? This God of heaven doesn't want part of you or some of your time or some of your attention. This God wants all of you. He wants all of you and he deserves all of you. And this morning, certainly, we want to understand how and why all idolatry is wrong, and I hope that you do. But in the end, what counts is our willingness to be faithful to Christ no matter what the cost. And this is what... Paul is saying to the Corinthians, listen to me, what you're doing, there is no separation, there is no difference. Unbeknownst to you, you are swelling the ranks of those who are against the living God. You can't have it both ways. You have to stand. There must be separation. And this morning, understand, we want you to understand that idolatry is wrong, but more than that, understand that there's a cost if you're going to be willing to be faithful to Christ. Make no mistake about it. If you're serious about rooting out the idolatry in your own life, there's a cost. If you're serious about the church and your responsibilities one to another, there's a cost. If you're serious about identifying and separating from the spirit of this age, there's a cost. And if you're serious about your attitude and actions and behavior that's diametrically opposed to God and His work, there's a cost. There's a cost. I'm concerned for the church of Jesus Christ today because many of us who have just been living our life the way we want to live it and following whatever we want to follow, we will never know the true joy and beauty of loving and serving our King wholeheartedly. And you will live and die as a believer because you had your foot in the world 
and the idols of your heart and trying to keep it in the church and straddling those two positions, my friend, it just does not work. God is worthy of much more than that. And too many believers, you think, it doesn't matter, I'm going to show up on church on Sunday, I'm fine, but wait a minute, what about these idols of your heart? What about what you're doing Monday through Saturday? Are you exalting Jesus Christ? Are you in line with him and his truth? Are you opposing the age and the spirit of this age? Or are you just going with the flow? Reminded of the story of the guy back in the U.S. Civil War, wasn't sure whether it should be with the Union or the Confederacy. So he wore a Union top and Confederate pants, and he was shot twice. Okay? Shot twice. And for many of us this morning, can I tell you something? We're getting shot twice. Because these idols of our hearts that we are worshiping, that give us value, worth, affirmation, pleasure, they're not of God. And the truth is, behind those things, there is a spirit of this age that is diametrically opposed to the God that we serve. And those idols in our life, they must be crushed. They must be destroyed. They must be rooted out. And God must be placed back upon his throne. And listen to me, if you're going to do that, it's going to cost you something. And for most of us, we don't want to cost. We got our ticket stamped, we're on our way to heaven, we're good. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is as the Spirit of God works within me, he is transforming me into the image of Jesus Christ. And sometimes that process is painful. And it always costs something. You're going to have to shut the TV off every now and then. You're going to have to get, quit going to some places, quit doing some things, to change your priorities, to watch how you spend your money and what's important in your life. There's a cost. My friend, listen to me. The cost is worth it because our God is the only true and living God and he is worthy of all praise. He is worthy of our entire lives. Paul says, my beloved, I'm going to tell you the truth. Flee idolatry. Get, get away from it. You can't have it both ways. You can't drink the cup of communion and then drink the cup of devils. It's impossible. And for us today, it's the same we cannot do both. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.